Welcome to the Compliance 911 Show, a no-nonsense podcast discussing hot topics for today's busy compliance professional. It's everything you wanted to know about regulatory compliance, but we're afraid to ask. And now, here are your hosts, Dean Stockford of M&M Consulting and Len Suzio of Geodata Vision. Dean, I see the topic you selected for discussion today is flood. We have recorded several podcasts talking about climate risk, global warming, and changes in weather patterns. So this topic appears pretty timely to me. Correct, Len. We've discussed many climate-related risks. However, flood events have resulted in significant losses to individuals and a renewed commitment from regulators with respect to compliance. Oh, boy. Anytime I hear a, quote, renewed commitment from regulators, (laughs) my antennae go up, Dean. Please expand (laughs) for our audience, if you can, and hold back the laughter. Yeah, well, we'll we'll do, yeah. My antenna goes up, too. Uh, I agree. Uh, Let me first start off by saying, you know, flood provisions are not new. Uh, They certainly have been around for a while, though we've seen different versions of it, but uh, they're not overly complicated. It touches in different areas in the loan process. So I think that's part of where some of the problems may exist. Um, But strong controls are critical. Uh, If we have strong controls, adequate training, uh, I fear violations will continue. But, um, uh, you know, I think that uh, uh, institutions will avoid some of the civil money penalties and, and, and potential violations if they uh, enhance those strong controls. You would think, wouldn't you? I mean, with thousands of dollars at stake per violation, financial institutions would have processes in place to ensure compliance. Yeah. What do you say? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I, I agree. And I think, you know, for the most part, I have to say financial institutions have done a pretty good job overall. Um, but we do continue to, to identify violations when we perform uh, audit testing. And with the NFIP, NFIP excuse me, uh, lapsing and then continuously extended, uh, not to mention the recent amendments that provide an option for financial institutions to accept private insurance policies, uh, we continue to see vi- uh, uh, flood violations surging. Wow. So for our audience, uh, Dean, can you expand on what some of the issues are that you're uh, observing? Yeah, that's a great question. And and I certainly will. But I think it's important that I first uh, give you that kind of 30,000 foot view of what the compliance expectations are. Uh, The statutory requirements apply when uh, improved real estate, and that is a building or a manufactured home, mobile home, is taken as security for a loan. and, and when that happens, a lender has uh, responsibilities that they uh, that they must adhere to, and hence strong controls and procedures in place. So we first have to determine whether that building or manufactured home offered as security for the loan uh, is or will be located in a special flood hazard area. Uh, and this this should be done early enough in the process. There is this what they call reasonableness standard, where regulators require. Uh, that you notify uh, of, of the need for insurance uh, within a reasonable pe- period of time, which is defined as 10 days. So if you don't do the determination early enough, then you're up against it with respect to the closing and notification. Uh, document the determination on what we call the, the standard uh, flood hazard, 
uh, form that is provided, whether the building is in a low to moderate flood risk area and uh, or not, uh, it should be documented on the standard flood hazard determination form. And those are updated periodically. So uh, we have to ensure that you're using the correct version uh, on that note, on that uh, determination. Uh, and then we have to provide notice to the borrower if collateral is or will be located in a special flood hazard area. Uh, there is a, a standardized sample notice from the uh, special flood hazard uh, area notifying, excuse me, the uh, the applicant that they're in a special flood hazard area and the need for flood insurance. And it, it's a little, you know, the regulation, or I should say not the regulation, excuse me, the guidance is a little uh, uh, vague in this regard. But one thing that is required with notification is proof of receipt, not just proof of mailing. Um, and we do see a lot of violations in that particular area. So there's there again, there's one requirement that we have to make sure we understand uh, proof of receipt is required. Um, it also requires that flood insurance be uh, 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 be obtained in the appropriate amount. And that does require a calculation by the institution. And, and again, this gets a little confusing because of how they calculate flood insurance. And there are different standards, whether it's a, a consumer or a commercial um, and I'll go into that slightly in just a moment. We also have to require escrows for flood insurance premiums if escrow is required for other items such as your hazard insurance and taxes. So typically commercial is excluded from that, but certainly on the retail side, we have that issue. Uh, during the term of a loan, we also have to ensure that flood insurance is maintained or obtained uh, if the lender becomes aware that the building involved subsequently becomes part of a special flood hazard area. Uh, we have to make sure that you consistently reconcile those uh, what we call tracking reports. So there's an internal tracking report, and then you have what we call life of loan monitoring, which is typically a third party external report. And those have to be reconciled to ensure that we have uh, all loans that should be covered, covered accurately. And then the other thing that comes into play when I think of that particular area is that oftentimes borrowers think that they're more savvy than the particular lender. So they'll, they'll provide you with a policy that is for $1 amount. And then after the loan closes, they think, oh, well, that's no problem. I'll call the insurance company, lower the dollar amount, lower my premium. The bank will never know and we'll be all set. So we, again, tracking and monitoring is very critical because in those circumstances, we would have to require that uh, that that we have to notify the uh, the borrower and then we would have to encourage them to get in a, in a new policy in the appropriate amount. And then last but not least, we would have to force place insurance if they don't obtained uh, insurance in the appropriate amount. And then uh, that has to be done. Uh, it's called the 45 day notice. Uh, and then we would have to uh, 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 provide force place coverage within that 46 day. So, so Dean, the guidelines seem pretty straightforward. So why are there so many issues in your opinion? Now, again, another great question, Len. And, and I think many of the issues that we've seen relate to commercial properties in contents coverage, um, but issues do exist with all aspects of the provisions. So uh, let me try to break it down a little bit. The contents coverage issue relates to blanket security uh, documents and provisions that require all contents, fixtures, and uh, as collateral. Um, but the a special flood hazard policy that comes in does, doesn't include contents coverage. And we often have to look at the uh, commitment letter um, and, and uh, from especially in commercial lending to see whether or not 
uh, fixtures have been considered in the process. And if they have, they need to have a uh, contents coverage in place. Of course, there are uh, some inconsistencies with the interpretation of the provisions as well, which I believe has also led to uh, some confusion. Um, but the bottom line is, if you take contents as collateral or have blanket provisions in your security agreement uh, related to contents, you need to have coverage in place and you need to do an analysis to figure out uh, uh, what how much or, or, or try to value those contents so we know that we have insurance in the appropriate amount. In addition, we've seen many issues with notification, as I was just talking about, for the need for coverage. The rules do require, as I indicated just a minute ago, proof of receipt, not proof of mailing. So financial institutions need to ensure that they can support compliance with these provisions. Sending notice, return receipt requested clearly documents when someone received it, regardless of when they signed the notice. And then, of course, there are other issues as well. But there's just one other thing I wanted to add it, uh, add here to the notification. You know, there is a standard form that we notify them of the need for flood insurance. But what institutions also have to make sure of is that they notify them of the amount of insurance that the institution is requiring. Oftentimes, you'll find uh, a borrower goes out and obtains insurance greater than the amount that is required. Well, if you didn't tell them how much is required, then that can result in a violation because it looks like the institution's requiring a greater amount of insurance than is technically required. Mm. So there again, you got to be kind of careful. Um, some of the other issues that we've seen, inadequate coverage, um, the concept of what we call insurable value. Um, I think when we first got started, many institutions went out and said, okay, let's just take the, you know, the appraisal, which is market value, subtract the land and boom, here we are with the replacement cost value. We're all good to go. Well, that's not necessarily the case. And, and replacement cost value is required under the consumer or retail side, uh, actual cash value on the commercial side. And then they came up with the concept of what we call insurable value, which means, okay, one way may not be sufficient. You have to go to a myriad of resources in order to make that determination of what really is the insurable value of the property. How did you document it and then notify them accordingly? Of course, notice not including the amount of required coverage, as I just alluded to, is an issue. Uh, zone discrepancies. So we have a determination done. All of a sudden, our policy comes in and we don't match the zone coverage. So for example, all of a sudden I get a determination that says that I'm in zone AE and then we get a policy that comes in and says we're in zone X. Well, that is a issue because that would imply that we perhaps don't have sufficient coverage. Um, so the zones have to match. Uh, closing a new loan under forced place policy, that is prohibited. Um, I, matter of fact, I did an audit just the other day uh, and, and I saw that as a, as a, as a uh, particular finding. That is a major finding. You cannot take a, for, uh, a forced place of policy at the time of closing. Um, that is inadequate for purposes of flood insurance. Nor, not forced placing insurance uh, on the 46th day. Uh, we've seen that raised as an issue. We, we notify them that we're going to force place insurance uh, within the 45-day notice and tell them that we will uh, force place immediately on the 46th day. If you tell somebody you're going to do that, boy, you better do it. And the regulators are on to it. So we've got to make sure that we're doing that. Um, and then, of course, I talked about it before, which is called life of loan monitoring uh, by our third-party provider. We have to reconcile those tracking reports. When a loan pays off, we have to notify the provider that we no longer need life of loan uh, monitoring because we reconcile those reports and look at it. Uh, to determine whether it's still needed. 
these are some of the primary issues that we've seen. Um, and these issues are identified in exams. So you can expect that the regulators will get your attention, uh, uh, <laughs> certainly, uh, if they're identifying them with civil money penalties. Uh, well, I totally agree with you. This is one thing you don't want the regulators to be finding when they show up uh, and look at your your documentation. Uh, there's a lot of issues here. Uh, and again, this has serious implications for banks. So why do you think this continues to be such a problem, especially given how long provisions have been in place for mandatory purchase of flood and coverage? Yeah, I, I'm glad you asked that too. You know, it does often come up. I mean, to start, I believe the lack of regulation and then inconsistency amongst regulators in interpreting the guidelines has contributed to a bulk of the issues that relate to weak controls internally. Uh, lack of training, obviously, is an issue uh, specific to what your, you know, what the job is and, and what is required relative to flood. Um, multiple people involved in the process and a lack of appropriate oversight. So again, I indicated it touches on multiple areas. You got the loan officer involved, typically the loan processor involved, uh, 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 typically uh, in the process. Um, so, you know, all of those things from, again, the loan officer process, making the determination, calculating the, appro the appropriate amount of flood insurance, uh, providing the notification. Those are all things that are that are done uh, in the processing of that particular loan. But then, you know, once those initial steps are complete, it flips. It goes to the back office function, such as loan servicing and compliance monitoring. Um, if all of these things work together, compliance should be relatively straightforward. But hey, as you you know, I just indicated, uh, uh, if you have a flaw in any uh, part of that process, you could have a violation and they take them very, very serious, the regulators do. Well, boy, Dean, uh, this is one of those podcasts I think people are going to play back three times because you've covered so many things and, and so many important aspects of this uh, this issue. Uh, and I do want to thank you for being so thorough and informative uh, in today's discussion. I've learned a bit myself. <laughs> this this is Len Susio from Geodata Vision saying thank you for your uh, presentation today, Dean. Yeah, and thank you, Len. And and and, and this is Dean Stockford from Eminem Consulting saying thank you for listening to today's podcast. And and me uh, kind of stuttering through it a little bit today. I just get really excited when I start talking about flood because it's uh, it's something that I think is relatively straightforward and easy to comply with. Uh, we just have to uh, uh, make sure that uh, we have appropriate controls in place to ensure compliance. Um, so again, thank you for listening today. Please let us know of any additional topics you'd like to hear. Uh, in the future. Thanks for listening to the Compliance 911 show. If you like the podcast, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. While you're at it, please give us a like and review to help others find the show. As always, links are in the show notes and you can always find us online at compliance911show.com. Follow M&M Consulting and Geodata Vision on LinkedIn for all the latest news and information on compliance hot topics.